Thank you, and you may be seated. I invite you to open your Bible to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 4. We'll get to that in a few moments. I know many of you, as Brother Steve did earlier, have been praying for the people and all the issues associated with what happened in Charlottesville. And one of the things that I am thankful for is prayer, even if it's not fully understood, is, is, is part of our culture, if you will. It's not unusual when something happens that you'll hear people say, we're, we're praying, our hearts are with, we're thinking about, we're praying for people. And when there's a crisis, there's a tragedy, it's one of the things we often say, isn't it? Political leaders say it, we say it, we're pr- I'll be praying for you. And, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad it's that way. I, I'd rather it be that way than nobody ever mentioned prayer. In fact, surveys for a number of years have indicated that the majority of Americans say they pray periodically. Uh, 70, 75%, depending on the studies you look at, say they pray once a week, once a month. So, you know, most people are okay with the idea of prayer. Uh, you know, sports teams for a long, long time, uh, before they go out to, to, the, to the game, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, they'll huddle up in the locker room and they'll have a prayer before they, they go out on the, in the field. And some of you who are, are you know, a little older, well, remember, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, pro football teams was the Chicago Bears of 1985. You, you remember the Bears of 85 won the Super Bowl? And remember, sweetness, Walter Payton, running back, Jim McMahon, the quarterback, and Big Fridge. All you Clemson fans should know who the Fridge is, right? You know, big dude. William, the Fridge, you know. <laughs> that was a fun team. I mean, what was that? Was that Super Bowl shuffle? Was that that? video of that dance, the Super Bowl. I mean, they were just, they just were big guys who were great players, having a lot of fun, had a great season, only lost one game and absolutely stumped. I mean, stumped the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Fridge even scored a touchdown. I mean, big defensive lineman scoring a touchdown. Who would have thunk it? A lot of fun. They were characters. Well, one day, Mike Ditka, the coach, was giving the team a pep talk before a game. And he looked at the fridge and he, he said to him, he said, now, when I finish, I want, you to, I want you to say the Lord's Prayer. About that time as he was talking, uh, <laughs> McMahon, the quarterback, reached over and tapped the, uh, the team chaplain on the shoulder and said, fridge don't know the Lord's Prayer. Chaplain said, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> McMahon said, I'll bet you 50 bucks fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Chaplain took the bet. A couple moments later, he's standing there thinking to himself, here I am in chapel and I'm gambling on the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and, uh, Dick uh, finishes his pep talk and nods at Fridge. So the Fridge stands up and clears his throat, begins to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord myself to keep. And that man reaches over and taps the chaplain on the shoulder and said, here's your 50 bucks. Who knew Fridge knew the Lord's Prayer? It may be true that, you know, most people in America will breathe a prayer for something from time to time, but it's equally true that most of the people in this country don't know a whole lot about prayer. Would you agree with that? Can, can I take it a step further and say that even in the church where we know a little bit more about it, talk about it a little bit more and do it more, that we don't know as much about it in the church as followers of Christ as maybe we, we, we could or should? I mean, there's a lot of us in this room right now, we struggle to pray. Our prayer life, I mean, it, it's not real strong. And that's why we're doing this, uh, this teaching series on prayer and fasting is because we need to learn how to pray. 
how to grow in our prayer life. Because it, we, you know, it's, it's a spiritual discipline that produces change. I mean, through prayer and fasting, we grow. God works in us to to do stuff, to change us and to show us things and to teach us. It just transforms us. And so we need to get better at that spiritual uh, discipline. And today, in particular, I want to talk about praying for one another, praying for other believers. And as I said, I invite you to open your Bible to Colossians 4 and just, just hold, you, hold it open there. In a few moments, we'll get to it. But before we study that passage in depth, I want to make a couple of points to set the table, okay? And here's, here's the first one. Whether, whether you realize it or not, each and every one of us as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, is involved in a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual war taking place every day in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, most of that chapter, Paul describes this spiritual battle and how we need to prepare for it. And I put in your notes and on the screen uh, two verses from Ephesians 6 where Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Now, get that image in your mind. Today, soldiers and police will wear protective gear, bulletproof vest, etc., to protect themselves. Well, in ancient times, it was the same thing. It was this armor. You've seen it in movies and pictures. You know, they have this big, heavy armor. It's there to protect them because they're going into battle, into war, and somebody's trying to kill them. And so they wear this armor to protect them. Same thing today with the bulletproof vest. And God says, believer, Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, you may not know it, but you're in a battle. Someone's trying to kill you. And you need to put on the armor. You need to wear the, the bulletproof vest to protect you. Now, at the end of this chapter, he says the way you put it on is through prayer. But it's, it's, it's almost impossible to put on this protection without prayer being part of your spiritual disciplines. But what's interesting to me, when he, when he says, put on the full armor of God, your bulletproof vest, so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You actually have an enemy who is scheming, who's organized, who's intentional about trying to destroy your life spiritually, trying to ruin you in your relationship with Christ, trying to ruin your relationships, your marriage, your family, your friendships, who's, who's trying to get you to do things that make a mess of your life. Word against. In the original language, it means hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's how they often fought. I mean, it's one thing to shoot at each other from a distance, but when you get up face-to-face -face and it's hand-to-hand -hand fighting, that word against is used six times in this passage, in this chapter about spiritual warfare. And so God is saying to you and me, there is an enemy who is face-to-face -face with you, hand-to-hand -hand combat, doing what he can to, to get you to the place that you're no longer faithful to Jesus, no longer serving Jesus, no longer faithful to the church, no longer worshiping with the body of Christ, no longer, longer living a moral life, a godly life, someone who no longer is growing. He wants to ruin your relationship with Christ, your spiritual life. Sometimes he, he does that by messing up your other relationships. It's a battle. Each and every one of us are part of it, whether we know it or not. And, and just, just look around at all the casualties. How many of you know people who used to go to church, they don't go to church anymore? Anybody? Any, any, anybody in here know somebody like that? Raise your hand. You know somebody like that? Every one of us knows somebody like that, don't we? 
How many of us know people who grew up in church? Then at some point in life, as a teenager or a college student or young adulthood, they just they just gave up and quit. You know anyone like that? You, you know anybody, they used to be a really strong leader in the church. Maybe they were a leader in Sunday school or some ministry and moral failure, an affair, something messed up their life, their marriage and their, 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 their walk with Christ. And how, how many of you have known churches and groups and ministry teams and Sunday school classes just to, just to come apart because of the way people act? The casualties of this spiritual war. Maybe you've, you've been one at some time. Maybe you are one right now. It's very, very real. And while there's a lot of things we, we should do to help people, the first thing we need to do or should do is to, is to pray for them. To pray for people when they fall in this spiritual battle, when, they, when they're injured and, and, and when things happen, we need, to, we need to pray and fast for them. Do you remember two weeks ago when we taught on fasting? I pointed out to you that Moses was on the mountain at Sinai for 40 days receiving the Ten Commandments from God and other instructions. And while he was on the mountain those 40 days, the people of Israel at the, at the foot of the mountain gave up on Moses, gave up on God, rebelled, collected gold, created an idol in the form of a, a calf, a golden calf, put it on the altar and worshipped it and had a party and so on. When Moses came down from the mountain, he saw the golden calf. He took those two tablets with the Ten Commandments, threw them to the ground, and they were shattered, and he destroyed the, the golden calf, and God judged the people. But I pointed out to us that Moses did something else that most people don't know he did. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, the Bible says Moses got on his face before God. He's praying, he's prostrating, he's, he's bowing, he's kneeling before God. And for 40 days, just like he'd been on the mountain 40 days to receive the Ten Commandments, for 40 days, 40 nights, Moses prays and fasts for the people of Israel, for the nation. Don't, don't ever tell yourself, because others won't do it, I'm not going to. You, you just do those things that God asks of you, those things that God puts in your heart, whether anyone else does it or not. Moses, get this picture. One man praying and fasting for the whole nation. God was ready to, to wipe out Israel and raise up a new people, the descendants of Moses, to take their place. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. But through Moses' intercession, his prayer and his fasting, God relented of that and the nation of Israel was saved through the prayers and fasting of one man on their behalf. Don't ever tell yourself that your prayers and fasting have no effect. They're meaningless. They won't make a difference because they will. Can, can you imagine how worried Moses must have been about them, how concerned he was, how much he cared, the passion in his heart, that he would spend 40 days praying and fasting. Now think about this. God said, hey, Moses, I'll make you the new Abraham. I will take your descendants and create a new people. Tempting offer. 
And yet Moses loved the people he had been leading so much that he declined that offer and he prayed and fasted for the people that he was already a, a part of. Let me ask you, how much are you praying for the people that you're a part of in this family of faith? Do you, do you fast for the spiritual welfare of the people who are part of our family of faith, those who are in your ministry team, those who are part of your Sunday school class, your children, your relatives, your neighbors? This week, as part of our, our five-week challenge, I'm asking you to, to pray for people who are backslidden and struggling spiritually. I'm asking the focus, the purpose of your fast be for those who are spiritually struggling, those who've, who've been defeated or injured in this battle. But I want to take this to another level, and here's, here's where I want to live for just a few moments. Not only are we in a spiritual battle, someone trying to destroy us, and therefore we're supposed to pray for each other you know, when we fall and when we're injured. But what the Bible teaches very, very clearly is we are supposed to pray for one another, for other believers, before we are injured, before we fall in battle, before the enemy wins, before the bullet penetrates someone's heart and soul. Too, too often we, we wait until the moment of crisis but what's, the, what's that old saying about an, an ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure? It's a whole lot easier most of the time to prevent something than it is to fix something. And God says you and I are supposed to be praying for one another, for fellow believers, before the problem comes, before the marriage is in trouble, before the, the, the faithfulness to Jesus and the service and the growth stops. Sounds like a big task, but it's doable, and I want to help you understand that today. Become part of it. Look in Colossians chapter 4 with me, please. Colossians chapter 4. Paul begins this chapter by asking the, the believers in Christ in the city of Colossae and that church to pray for him, and then at the end of it, he he's, he's wrapping his letter up and, and you know just saying bye and so on, and in verse 12, he mentions a man named Epaphras, who is one of your number. Epaphras was uh, one of Paul's associates. He was, he was a fellow preacher. He, he worked with Paul. He, he, he was like on his team. And Paul mentions in verse 12 that Epaphras is one of your number. In other words, he is one of the Colossians. He's from that city. He's from that church. We'll talk more about that in just a moment and how important it was. He says in, in verse 12 that he's also a bond slave of, of Jesus Christ. That means he submitted to the lordship of Jesus in his life. So here's Epaphras. He's a, he's a preacher, if you will. He's a ministry associate. He's dedicated to Jesus, the will of God, the lordship of Christ. And he's from the church that Paul's writing this letter to. And then Paul says, he sends you greetings. He, so Paul's writing this letter to this church, and, and, and he inserts in, hey, Epaphras says, hi. But I love the rest of verse 12 because Paul says, Epaphras is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That word is a sports term. 
It's interesting how often in the New Testament, Paul in particular used sports analogy to communicate truth. Because sports were popular then, just like today. It's not new. It's always been popular, okay? And this is a sports term. It's the, it's the picture of an athlete in, 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 in a game, in a contest. He's exerting himself physically. He's putting everything out there and giving it everything he has in competition to win. That's the word Paul uses to describe how Epaphras was praying for these Christians in Colossae. He's he's, he's intense. He's real. The the word has this idea of intensity and and, and effort. In fact, we get our English word pain from this Greek word because if you're an athlete and you're giving it everything you have, sometimes it hurts. And you exert yourself so much that when it's over, you're just exhausted. That's the picture. He's praying for them with that kind of passion. And what is it that he's, what's his goal? What is it that he wants God to do in their lives when he's praying for them? Well, he continues in verse 12 by saying, laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that, so that, here's the goal, you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. He says he's praying that you don't become a dead soldier in this battle. He's praying that you don't become a spiritual casualty in this spiritual war. That you stand for spiritual stability in their lives. Not up and down, but stability. For spiritual maturity. The word perfect means mature, complete, well-rounded. All the different areas of your life. God is not just working in one area. God's trying to produce a well-rounded, solid, mature, complete, stable disciple. Fully assured, spiritually confident. Not someone who lives in fear, but spiritually confident that that God's will is good and you're living in the will of God and and you understand his purpose for your life and, and you understand who Christ is and what it means for your life. He says, Epaphras is praying for your spiritual health. For your spiritual well-being and your relationship with Christ. Now look at verse 13. Paul says, For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you. Some Bibles translate that works hard for you or has, I think the King James has great zeal for you. It's, it's a very broad word. means all of that. Do you know what Paul is saying? His prayers for these Christians, they're not casual prayers. I mean, his heart is in it. His passion is in it. He's, he's consistent and he's intense and it's, it's important to him. It's not, it's not anything casual. Why, why did Epaphras care so much? Why, why did he pray that way and that hard for this church and for these Christians? Well, it's at the beginning of verse 12. He's one of your number. He's one of you. He's from you. He knows you. 
He's connected to you. He has relationships with you. He cares about you. And it's out of that heart, that that passion for God because he's a servant of God and that passion for them because he's in relationship with them, them, that, that out of all of that, God produces this kind of praying for them. Look in chapter 1 of Colossians for just a moment, a couple pages in front of where you already are. Colossians chapter 1, Paul begins this letter by just saying hi and greeting them and he's thankful for them and and he's heard about them and their love for God. He heard about it from Epaphras. Epaphras. So Epaphras... He comes to Paul and, 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 and gives Paul the story of the church. In verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, referring back to verse 6, the grace of God, the gospel. In other words, we, we, we can't be certain, but it's either Epaphras was Paul's associate who started this church or he was one of his early leaders and preachers and teachers. One of the two. And so he comes back to Paul and says, hey, there's this great church over there in Colossae. They love Jesus. And they know the truth. And Paul is thankful for that. And so in verse 7 he says, when we, you know, we, we learn this about you from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow bondservant, another way of saying he's submitted to the Lordship of Christ, who is a faithful servant of Christ. He's a minister of Jesus. And he's a good one. He's dependable. He's faithful. And he's part of our team on our behalf. Verse 8, he told us about your love. But verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard it, We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says, hey, Epaphras is not the only one praying for you all. Paul says, I'm praying for you. And everyone that's a part of our ministry team is praying for you. Now, what did did Paul's team pray for these Christians? Well, in verse 9, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Here's what we're asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, my team is praying for you that you're a faithful Christian and you love Jesus. We're praying that continues. We're we're praying that you continue growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, your knowledge of him. We're we're praying that you have the wisdom of God. We're, we're, We're praying For your understanding of Jesus' place in your life, that it just keeps getting stronger and clearer and better all the time. Then verse 10, so that. And here's why we want you to understand more and more of who Jesus is and more and more of what his plan for your life is, so that in order that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul says the thing we really want is for you to live in such a way that that you're worthy of of the name Christian. Live in such a way that you bring honor to Jesus. And so we're praying for you to grow so that that can happen in your life. He continues in verse 10 to please him in all respects. Just become that well-rounded, there it is again, that well-rounded, mature, complete disciple. And God, God, I'm praying that God does that in your life so that you bring honor to him and you can please him. Bearing fruit in every good work. I want you to be effective in your service and your ministry. I want you to be effective in your witnessing and your relationships and your evangelism and increasing in the knowledge of God. Don't ever stay put, just keep growing. Verse 11, and, and, and that you'll be strengthened 
with all power according to his glorious might, the glorious power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our lives because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And Paul says, my prayer, my team's prayer for you is to grow in your knowledge of Christ and his role in your life. And then, then you become this, this servant of Jesus who's well-rounded and mature and you So that you can be stable. So that you can be mature. Well-rounded. And live out the will of God for your life. He says in verse 11, to the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The word patience there is the picture of holding up under a load. Not giving up. He say, he, he's saying, this church, you're a good church and you're doing so much that's good. Believers, you, you're growing. You love Jesus. And my prayer is that you get even better at it. That you never become a casualty in this spiritual war. Would you like for someone to pray that kind of Would you? Yeah. We all would. We all need it. Does that does that sound like the way we usually pray for each other? Hmm. Not really, does it? Maybe after someone's been shot <laughs> in this spiritual war, maybe when they're already a casualty, but rarely, rarely do we pray those kind of prayers for each other before the, before someone is injured. And yet that's exactly what Paul is saying we're supposed to do. Let, let, let me ask you some questions, okay? And you just answer them, okay? Do, do you believe that this spiritual war is real? Do, do, do you really believe that each and every one of us are at risk do, do you really believe there's there's an evil one in this world who is strategically trying to bring you, me, and everyone else down? Let me ask you another question. Do you really believe prayer works? Then why don't we pray these kind of prayers for each other? Now, now, hear my heart on this. Listen, listen, church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on us for just a moment. Okay, now here. I, I get emails, a lot of emails, too many emails. Any of y'all get too many emails? <laughs> but in the midst of all that volume, there are some really good ones. And the, one, the, the, the ones I enjoy getting every week are from our Sunday school classes. Where, you know, you all do these prayer lists and you send them out. Okay? Most of our groups do a great job praying for each other. They do, we do that. Right? Our deacons Monday, Monday night spent uh, several minutes praying for people in this church and people that those of us in this church know. Pray for them by name. 
Do a good job of it. We do a good job praying for people when they're sick. Praying for each other when somebody needs a job. When their their marriage is in trouble. Or a child's going off the deep end. Praying for each other when we have aging parents and the issues that come with that. Praying for each other when there's an addiction. Praying uh, when somebody needs to sell a house. And we need to get better at that. But I'm not... I'm not certain we can say we do a great job praying for each other's spiritual well-being and especially praying those kind of prayers before somebody is in trouble. We need to grow in that, get better at that. I don't think anybody can argue that point. We need to get better at that. That's, That's New Testament praying. All of it matters, but this matters. And and by the way, when people remain spiritually healthy, that would prevent some of the other things we end up praying for in a crisis. And so praying about these things on the front side, like Paul was doing, like Epaphras did. Do, Do you know that the New Testament says more about praying for one another's spiritual needs than it says about praying for our physical needs? It does. It does. I understand the physical and the tangibles immediately in front of us. And it's the tyranny of the urgent, the crisis of the moment. But you see, wisdom says, I I step back and I look at a a bigger picture. It's like parents who are trying to teach their children things when they're young so that when they're adults, they don't go crazy. Praying for people on the front side for their spiritual well-being, for their growth in Christ, the relationships. It's never urgent. Until, they're, till, until they are a casualty. But it's always of the highest importance. Don't, don't wait until they're wounded. Surround your Sunday school teacher. Surround your deacon. Surround our pastor. Surround one another. Surround those who are in ministry. Get together and say, I am praying for that person's spiritual victory God, I thank you for the faithfulness of this person and I pray that you protect them and don't allow anything or anyone to come into their life that would bring them down. We have these high school graduates up here every year praying for them as they go off to college because they're going to face some stuff. preacher who died in the early 1900s, he, he said, his, the mightiest thing you can do for a man is to pray for him. I'm not convinced we believe that. You remember in December 2015, 
when uh, this, this, these two Muslim terrorists, this couple, went out in San Bernardino to where you know, about 80 employees of this company had gathered for a Christmas party and opened fire and killed 14, injuring others. Y'all remember that story? And everybody was, you know, just appalled, prayed. I mean, we're here in Rock Hill. What, what else can you do? You pray, and leaders across our country did what they always do. Our hearts go out, and we pray. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we have that kind of, that kind of uh, culture. But what really caught my attention was the following day, the cover of the New York Daily News. And in the article, criticized conservatives and Republicans for praying and were pushing, you know, greater gun control. And that's a different debate, discussion. That, that's not my point. But over the weeks to follow, there were numerous articles and publications and discussions and debates and shouting on TV and all of that about whether prayer works, it doesn't work, is that enough? You know, that whole issue, how that, 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 that unfolded. And myself and some of you, you see that, and your my initial reaction, your reaction is what? Offended by it. But is it possible that in some way that's speaking the truth about us when it comes to this spiritual war? That we really don't believe God will do anything? And maybe on some level that's part of the reason we don't pray for one another about spiritual things. I mean, in, emo, logically, with our words, our mind, we would say that we don't believe that. But, but our actions or our lack of sometimes might say that may hit a little closer to the truth in terms of what we really think because of what we really do or don't do. More recently, last month, a group of about 30 conservative preachers gathered and others gathered with President Trump, prayed for him. And it was amazing in the days to follow all the fallout from that and the criticism they t some of them you know, took from certain segments of our culture for that. And the truth is, every elected official, every public servant needs our prayers. The Bible teaches that you and I as believers in Christ are supposed to pray for every elected official, every government official. But I think, you know, when, when I read and heard some of the criticism of, of them for praying for him, like, hey, don't pray for him. Just how, how dare you pray for him? <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was offended by some of the stuff I heard following that. But on some level, is it not, is it not true that it's easier for us to get offended when someone attacks those who pray, it's easier to get offended and, 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 and to be angry than it is to actually pray. We, we, we have Christians who are wounded. They're, they're casualties in, in this war. And sometimes rather than praying for them, we criticize them. I can't believe he's doing that. wonder why I can't believe he's not at church anymore. I, I you know. It's easier to criticize than to pray and love. 
When, there, when there's a spiritual casualty, it's, it's easier for us to, to blame and point fingers and, and talk to so-and-so about them than it is to get on our face before God and pray for them or maybe fast for them and love them. So is this, this five-week challenge. We're starting week three today as it continues. You're asked, well, all of us are asked, you remember, fast and pray, to, to pray for two different people every day in this church that we don't normally pray for. And last Sunday, I asked you to add to that, praying for two of the items that are mentioned in your program, in your bulletin, so that you can learn how to pray kingdom prayers and pray for the ministries of this church. Because prayer needs to reach beyond just what's immediately on our mind all the time. Well, today I want to, to, to take it another level and say, as you're praying for two people, I want you to pray every day this week for two people who are spiritually struggling. And add to that, praying for people who are in leadership that are not struggling, praying that they never struggle. Just make that part of your prayer this week, every day. Pray for people by name like that. And, and fasting, you're to, we're, we're asking ourselves to fast one day each week for the next five weeks. You choose the day. You choose the type of fast, full fast, partial fast, whatever. You, that's your choice. But this week, I'm asking that the purpose of our fasting be that we fast for those who are struggling spiritually. Each of us know people like that. Make a list of their names. Pray for them. Fast for them when you fast this week for God to do a work. Be Moses. Be Moses. Get on your face before God and plead with God and fast before God for the well-being of those who have been wounded in this spiritual war. Love them enough to do that. Be deeply concerned enough for them to do that. Because you can do that. You can. And it will make a difference in people's lives.